Our scripture reading from today is from Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will, call, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Philip. Morning, everybody. Morning, good to see you. If you don't know me, my name is Alan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Village. It's really good to have you with us this morning if you're visiting. <clears throat> um, I'm dreaming of a white. Some people are mouthing it. They're too scared to say it. The other, in the first service, everybody was willing to say it. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I wonder if that's what you're dreaming of this year, a white Christmas Maybe not. Maybe you're not even thinking of Christmas yet. This is the first day as you see the tree up here. Your tree at home isn't even up yet, but this is the first day you've even contemplated or thought about Christmas this year. I wonder how you would fill in the blank there. I'm dreaming of a something Christmas. What is it for you? As you think of last Christmas, last year, or you hear the news of this new COVID variant, you're dreaming of a restriction-free Christmas, a normal kind of friends and family-filled Christmas. Maybe for our kids, if I'd gone down in our first service and asked some of them what they're hoping for this Christmas, they might have said a presence of plenty kind of Christmas. Maybe you or someone you love in life is struggling with illness right now. Things aren't so easy at the moment, and all you're longing for is a healthy, hospital visitless Christmas. Maybe for you, Christmas is actually quite a, a difficult time of the year. It's a time that serves as a reminder, maybe, of people you've lost in life or the, the broken and strained relationships that exist in your family. 
of the, the pain that you feel of being on your own. Maybe you're someone who's just dreaming of a soon-to-be-over kind of Christmas. All of us have our hopes and dreams uh, at Christmas time, but also uh, in life in general. At Christmas, it feels almost like they're heightened in some ways. We have this kind of idyllic, picture-perfect kind of Christmas that we're hoping for. Um, But in life, we have our hopes and our dreams too, because we live in a world that really leaves us longing for more, for something better. We can sense that things in life and things in our world are not the way things are meant to be. As we watch the news, as we think of things on on a global perspective, whether it's pandemics or the migrant crisis or terror threats, or whether we think of the things closer to home, illness, financial problems, relationship strain. In life, in our world, we are acquainted, well acquainted with evil and suffering and sorrow. And we long for things to be different. We hope for something more and for something better. Now, as John and Jenny have mentioned already, Advent is a time of hoping. It's a time of longing for God's people. We wait expectantly for something or for someone, someone better, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And at Advent, we look forward to Christ and his return We look forward to that time when our promised King, Jesus, will come back, will bring his his kingdom fully and finally uh, into reality here, when all things will be made new and we as his people will be taken to be with him forever. We long for that day, but we, we look forward to that by looking back, by looking back to the first advent, to Christ's first coming, as we enter into the the hopes and the dreams of God's people over 2,000 years ago, as they waited with bated breath, anticipation for the long-promised, long-awaited King to finally come. At Advent, we look back and we enter into their longing. And here is God's people, That's what we do as we we set off in this journey now for these next four weeks. We hope and we wait for the day that our King Jesus will return, not as a baby as we see in the first advent, but as our King in glory, enthroned forever. And while all other hopes that we have for this Christmas might be laced in doubts, shrouded in uncertainties. We can never uh, actually be sure that the Christmas that we hope for will become a reality. That's not the case with Jesus Christ when we put our hopes in him. Jesus Christ came to this earth and Jesus Christ promises that he will one day return to this earth. And so we look forward. We wait with expectation. We long for that day. Our Advent series this year is is called Season's Greetings, and we're looking at the the Gospel of Luke. 
looking at, at the events kind of around uh, Jesus' arrival, his coming into the earth on that first Christmas. And Luke is the only gospel writer who highlights the events uh, of the, the kind of Christmas story in as much detail as he does. Uh, he tells of things that none of the other gospel writers uh, actually write about. Uh, and so we're going to look at these four different occasions when people were greeted with the news that the long-promised Messiah, the one who God promised right at the beginning in, in Genesis chapter 3, who he would send into this world to crush the serpent, to destroy evil forever, that king, that son that he promised was finally coming. Coming into this earth and all the hopes and dreams of God's people would be realized in him. And this morning, we're looking at the scene as the angel Gabriel greets Mary with this news. Now, Luke has written this gospel account. He says this right at the beginning uh, for us to have certainty about the hope that we have. For us to be sure that this is the truth, that everything we read is the truth, and so we can be sure that everything that God promises that is yet to be fulfilled will happen and is the truth as well. Look, he isn't dealing in, in myth and hearsay. He is about the historical objective facts. He was a doctor with a scientific background. He was a keen historian. He did all the research himself, interviewed all the eyewitnesses who were there. And he's written this orderly account of the birth of Jesus Christ, his life, his death and his resurrection to life again. He's written this account so that his dear friend Theophilus, as he says in verse three, his dear friend Theophilus could be sure, certain that this is the truth. And it's the same for us here today as we read these words. So, as we dive into our passage here, let me read verse 26, because Luke says, in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, who we're going to find out more about next week with Nathan. But in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now here's the thing, uh, the first thing, sorry, about our story. It starts in a place called Nazareth, a nothing kind of a place in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of like Larn, really. It's, it doesn't have anything big to boast about. It's the kind of place that no major events really happen in. Uh, and Mary, who's at the center of this story, she's a nobody kind of girl. She's uh, really got nothing special about her. I'm sorry for anybody that's from Lauren. I'm just realizing there might be someone. Um, but Mary, she, she's likely to be in her teens. Um, she's someone who is betrothed or engaged to a man called Joseph. And we know that she is a Jew of God's people, which means that her and her people are basically second-class citizens in the Roman Empire at this time. They've not had good leadership uh, in their um, of their people, uh, and they've not had a very positive or good recent history. By all accounts, the situation that Mary finds herself in as we meet her in this story isn't one that's filled with hope or promise or expectation, and yet it's to this nobody girl in this nowhere kind of place that God steps in, that God makes 
this life-changing, earth-shattering announcement. The promise that he has made all those centuries ago is now being fulfilled. And God sends the angel Gabriel to Mary, and look what he says to her in verse 28. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary is understandably a bit shaken, as you would be if an angel just came into the room and started speaking to you. It says she's greatly troubled by what he said, and she's trying to discern what the greeting is that he's given to her. I'm Mary. This is Nazareth. Why on earth is an angel coming to me? What does he mean that I'm a favored one, that God is with me? And the angel can sense her fear and bewilderment, and he says in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, this might seem strange in some ways, but it's not altogether out of God's character to do something like this. There are plenty of times in the Bible that we read of God coming, either himself speaking or or sending an angel to speak on his behalf, and telling someone that they are going to have a baby. And often that's been in quite exceptional circumstances, strange and in unexpected ways. Just in the passage before that we'll think of more next week, as I said, Elizabeth, an old lady, a lady who's been barren her whole life, she becomes pregnant. She is expecting a baby herself in quite remarkable circumstances. And so it's not strange that God is announcing news of a baby to be born. But what's strange and incredible about this announcement is who this baby will be and how this baby will be born. Look at the astonishing promise God makes to Mary about her baby boy. Verse 32, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Two things for us this morning that are incredible about this child. The first is this. The angel promises that he will be the son of God. He'll be the son of God. Now, first off, Luke wants us to know that he will be the son of Mary. Mary is is no surrogate mother. She's no incubator of someone else's baby. This is her baby, conceived and nurtured in her womb for nine months. Jesus Christ is a real human being, a flesh and blood baby, born to an earthly mother, fully human, like you and me. And the angel says twice in verse 31 and 35 that Mary will conceive and that this baby will be born into this world, born like any other baby. We've had lots of babies born in our church family recently. We're coming down with them at the moment. Praise God. And here's the incredible thing. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would be delivered into the world like any of those babies. Mary would give birth to her son just like any other mom. The same contractions, the same birth pains that any earthly mother would experience. 
Luke wants us to know that this baby, Jesus, is a human being, like us in his humanity. And maybe you can get that. You can get your head around Jesus Christ being a human being. There are many historians, most historians, who, who would agree that Jesus Christ was a real human who walked and, and talked and lived on this earth. He entered into time and space. People don't have a problem with that, but it's what comes next that people struggle with. Because here's the, the unique thing about this child, something that only this baby could say. Because the angel promises that he will be born to an earthly mother, but born to a heavenly father. Look at verse 32. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Mary's boy will be no ordinary baby. Not the son of one of the most powerful world leaders, not the son of a famous sporting icon or a famous celebrity. He will be the son of the most high God. The son of the creator God who brought all things in this earth into existence, who sustains all things in this universe by the power of his word. That's who this is the son of. And the language that the angel uses to describe this child in verse 35 is remarkable as well, because look what he says, therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. That word holy, it means set apart, distinct from everything else that's common in this world. It was a, a word that people knew only to be true of God. He was a, a holy God, set apart from everyone and everything else in this world. And this is what the angel promises will be true of Jesus, the Son of God. He will be on one hand like us in his human nature, but completely unlike us in his divine nature. This is probably one of the, the most profound mysteries of the Christian faith something that in many ways is so difficult to get our heads around. It's what Christians call the incarnation, God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, taking on flesh and becoming like one of us, born in the likeness of you and me, the eternal son of God, the one who has existed forever. There's never been a time that he has not existed in perfect unity with God the Father and God the Son. On that first Christmas, he was given a body and born as a human being like you and me, fully man, but yet at the same time, fully God. It is a holy mystery, something that people with brains the size of this room have, have wrestled with and, and written pages upon pages on for years. And here's how the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he talks about the mystery of the incarnation. He says, Jesus Christ, infinite yet an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet suckling at a woman's breast, upholding the universe and yet needing to be carried in his mother's arms, king of the angels, ignored by the world, heir of all things, and yet born in a stable. 
We struggle to take this in, to grasp the magnitude of who this child really is, the wonder of the incarnation. And we're not meant to be able to take this in fully. I think the the, the incarnation is meant to leave us awestruck, confounded by God, by his wisdom, astonished by the lengths that God would go to save you and me, his people. Because this was the only way for things to get better. This was the only way that humanity could experience salvation and be reconciled to God again. Right from the beginning, because of our sin, we have been cut off from God. But God, right from the beginning, promised that he would send one, his son, who would come to make the way for us to be made right with God forever. We needed someone to represent us before God who was like us, a human being, someone who was able to identify with us, sympathize with us. But we needed someone to represent us before God who was completely unlike us too, not a sinner like you and me, someone who was perfect, innocent before God. And here's why it's so important for us right at the beginning of Advent to grasp who this child really is, to see Jesus' identity as the Son of God, to believe it to be the truth. Because if Jesus Christ is not like us, then he cannot represent us before God. He can't take our place and go to the cross and pay for our sins. He must share in our humanity to do that. The blood of bulls and goats, the Bible says, could never take away sins. Nothing else could ever do it. It must be the shed blood of a human being. And yet, if Jesus Christ is not holy, if he is not different from you and from me, if he shares in our sinful nature, shares our guilt and shame before God, then how can he ever save us from it? How can he bear my sin if he bears his own? How can he pay the penalty that I deserve if he must pay the penalty himself? A savior who is sinful like you and me is no savior at all, but here, here is the wonder of the incarnation. People, God's people for centuries waiting for God's long promised savior to come. And the angel announces to Mary that this human being who's going to be born from her is the one who is perfectly holy, set apart from everyone else, the the only human being who can and will live the perfect life of holiness that none of us can live, the human being who can and will shed his own innocent blood to atone for the sins of the whole world the human being who can and will die as our substitute, taking the the punishment for sin that we deserve so that we can be reconciled to God forever. This is him. He is coming into the world. And the Christmas story, the wonder of the incarnation, it leads us from the manger to the cross, from Bethlehem to Calvary. It reminds us of the very depths of God's love for us, of the lengths God has gone to make us new. 
As the Scottish preacher David Gibson said of Jesus Christ, born of Mary so that his humanity could be true, born of God so that humanity could be made new. Jesus Christ wasn't born to share the world's guilt as a sinner. Jesus Christ was born to bear the world's guilt as our Savior. And it's his conception which underlines just how unique he is, underscores his holiness. Because Mary was a virgin, never having had sexual relations with a man before. And knowing this, Mary says in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel replies, yes, you're a virgin, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You'll conceive and bear a son, Mary, not by the biological, natural means of a man, but by the supernatural power of God. This is the kind of thing that would only be possible with God. That's what the angel says in verse 37. What might seem impossible to you and to me, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is beyond his power. Every promise he has made, he has the power to keep. God is in charge of all things and he works all things out according to his perfect will. We can rest as God's people in the sure and certain hope that God will be faithful to every promise he makes. The news of Jesus' arrival on this earth Let's let it strengthen and deepen our faith in God this Christmas. And if you're still thinking this morning, a virgin birth all seems a bit too far-fetched, a bit beyond the realms of real-life possibility. Well, let me encourage you to think of this. If this baby Jesus is actually the Son of God, if he is divine and holy, different from all other babies that have ever been born, then surely a miraculous entry into this world is only fitting. You'd expect that he'd be born in a way that makes no sense other than the work of God. And so a virgin birth is a pretty good way for God to say to a watching and a waiting world that this Jesus born in Bethlehem really is my son, son of the Most High. That's not all the angel says, though. Look at the second thing here that he says about this baby. The angel promises he will be the eternal king, the eternal king, because look what the angel says in verse 32 and 33. The Lord God will give to Jesus the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now on Christmas day this year, Queen Elizabeth will deliver her 69th speech uh, as our queen. 3 p.m., BBC One, nothing better. Sitting down, just stuffed full of turkey uh, and just being our heart being warmed watching our queen <laughs> deliver her speech. And she gave her, her first speech when she was 25 years old. Uh, now she's 95. And there was one year, 1969, just in case you think I can't do the maths, there was one year that she didn't give the broadcast in 1969. And so that's why it's her, her 69th speech this year. It's quite incredible. Uh, sometimes it feels like our queen is a, is a forever kind of queen 
that she's going to have a reign that's forever. Because I'm pretty sure that all of us in this room, we've only ever known the queen as our monarch. Uh, And in some ways, it's hard to imagine a time when Queen Elizabeth won't be on the throne. When she finally passes away and, and Charles takes the throne as king. But that day is coming at some point in the future. But here, the promise to Mary is that her son will be a king who will reign forever. There will never be a time when he will step down off his throne. Never be a time when he will relinquish his rule to someone else. And we know this because of the promises that God made back in the Old Testament. Promises that he made to his people and specifically to a king called David. In 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16, God promised that one day one of David's descendants would be a king whose throne and kingdom would last forever. The promise of a king who would rule and reign over God's people in perfect love for all eternity. And the whole of the Old Testament has been pointing towards this king. God's people have been waiting as, as they've gone through the years, as they've kind of traveled down through history, almost like they're traveling down the road. They see the road signs along the way on the sides of the road saying, the king, he's coming. The king that you're waiting for, he's coming. The promised king is coming. And now here, here Uh, In Luke's gospel, as we read this account, we see that God's promised king is here. He's finally arriving into this earth. The king that God promised would rule in perfect justice and righteousness. The king who God promised would bring hope and peace to all of his subjects. The king who would protect and love and care for all of his citizens perfectly. A king who would fix our biggest problem in life, reconciling us to God, our Father in heaven, fixing our broken relationship with him by cleansing us from our sin, dying in our place. A king who would hold out the offer of everlasting life to all who would put their trust in him. A king whose loving and generous and gracious rule would extend to people from all nations on earth for all eternity. That's the king the whole Bible points to, the king that God promised to his people from the time of David, the king that Mary and her people have been longing for, hoping for. And doesn't that sound like the kind of king that we need too, that our world needs? In the world that's full of darkness and injustice and evil, in a world that's, that peace is so often absent, this is a king who will come to offer perfect peace and righteousness, who will love his people in a way that will protect them and care for them for all eternity. Jesus Christ was coming into the world, the king that God promised. Hundreds of years have passed and God's people were waiting, wondering will he ever show, but here and now in this nowhere kind of place, to this nowhere, uh, nobody kind of a girl called Mary, that God announces his king is finally coming. He will finally be born 
to take up his everlasting throne. And how does Mary respond to all this? Overwhelming news. Look at her reaction in verses 37 and 38. She's heard all the angel has announced. She believes it all to be true. She has complete faith in the promises of God, that everything God says, he has the power to do. And she believes that nothing is impossible with God. She responds by saying, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary responds in faith, trusting in God's promises. And we're going to see with Nathan next week the joy that Mary experiences. She holds on to this hope as she trusts in God's promises. But that's for us next week. Joy inexpressible that Mary experiences. But I want to finish this morning by asking each of us, how will we respond to this news today? Will we respond in faith like Mary? Will we experience the joy of knowing God's promised king, our savior, Jesus, has come? If you're someone who's still a bit skeptical, still not sure about all this, maybe you're wary because promises like this, uh, they often just seem to let us down. Promises of of things being made new, of, of something better, always just feel empty and like they never come to fruition. But I want to invite you, if that's you, to come on this journey through Luke's gospel with us. As we journey through Advent and as we look at the evidence, as we see for ourselves, this baby born in that first Christmas really is God's own son, the eternal king who came into this world to be the savior of God's people. Look, goes on in his gospel to show us that Mary's faith in God's promises and her ensuing joy were not in the least bit misplaced. Mary does get pregnant, even though she's a virgin. She does have a baby boy who she calls Jesus Christ. And through Luke's gospel, we see that he lived a perfect life on earth, just as God promised that he would. He died a sacrificial death on the cross just as he promised he would. And he rose to life again victorious after three days in the tomb, just as he promised he would. Proven that he really is all God promised he would be. His own son, our forever king. Jesus Christ is the one who offers salvation to all who believe. And this news, this news about Jesus, if we choose to believe it, is what gives us hope in the midst of a hopeless world. It's what gives us peace and security, even when our lives on this earth seem like they are unraveling or seem like they are just so uncertain. It's news which gives us joy. Joy like Mary, even when our circumstances are anything but joyful in life. Jesus Christ came to this earth, that first advent. And as God's people, we remember that. We rejoice in that. But as we reflect on that, 
we know with full assurance that our hope in Jesus is secure. That just as Jesus Christ came into this earth, that he will one day come again. He will one day come and our king will usher in his kingdom. His kingdom of of perfect peace and justice and righteousness for all of us. All who put their trust in him for all eternity. A kingdom that we will be part of. A kingdom that we get to enjoy and experience forever. In Advent, we get to rest in the sure and certain hope that God will fulfill all of his promises because Jesus Christ, our King, our Savior, has come and he will one day come again. At Advent, we remember that, we rejoice in that, and we long for that. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray for us now. Father God, we... Thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that in a, in a world that uh, so often leaves us longing, in a world that so often lets us down, in a world where uh, people uh, make false promises to us, Father, we know that the promises you have made to us, your people, are promises that are sure and certain, promises that we can rest on, promises that we can put our hope in because we know that they are the truth, that all that you promise to do, you have the power to fulfill. Father, we thank you that the first advent, Jesus Christ first coming to this earth is proof of that. Lord, we can be made new. We can be cleansed from our sins. We can be given Uh, the hope of eternity with you. We can be given uh, the the joy uh, of knowing you and being part of, of your kingdom because we know Jesus Christ came and because we know with full assurance that he will come again to take us home to be with him. Father, as we journey through Advent, may our eyes be fixed on Jesus Christ. May our hearts be stirred to praise and to worship him. Our king who came to this earth as a baby, born in weakness, born like us, but born to save us, to redeem us, to offer us new life. Father, the love that you have for us is incredible. We praise you and worship you, worship you today. And Father, we pray that this Advent, our, our longing and our hopes and expectations will be uh, renewed and restored as we look to Jesus Christ, as we consider his coming, and as we look forward to his second coming. And we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.